Welcome everyone to a Mission Focused Life. And today we have special guests, Les and Rita Peters. They are the founders and field directors of, um, of Impact Ministries down in Guatemala. So we'd like to welcome to the program. So welcome. Thank you so much. A privilege to be here with you, Tim. Well, it's a delight to have you guys. You know, I got to know you back there a couple of years ago when I got to go down to Guatemala and visit and see your uh, ministry firsthand. And uh, you are an amazing couple. And, and we're going to get into your story here pretty quickly. But first, tell us a little bit more about you and your family today and uh, what's going on with the, in the Peters family. Well, uh, we... We, uh, we are Canadians and we had two children, biological children, uh, 30, 40. 40 years ago. We're getting older. Wow. We're getting older. And uh, after that, we adopted three children from Haiti and our life was pretty much trundling along on a very normal path in uh, North America uh, with uh, five children. And then uh, the Lord began stirring our hearts. My background is education. Uh, I was principal of a Christian school in Canada at the time that I started bringing short-term missions teams here to Guatemala. And that was kind of the prod that the Lord used to speak to both of our hearts to begin thinking about what else he might want to do in our lives. Yeah. I, I had such a desire, such a longing uh, for the Lord to use us. Uh, not that he wasn't using us, but I wanted, I don't know, I just had a hunger for more. And I remember uh, spending many hours walking around this beautiful park that was near our school that Les was working in in Kamloops and praying and saying, Lord, there must be some people somewhere on this earth that are asking you for help that you could put us there and and use us to be the help that they're asking for. Um, what we could do, I had no idea what, how could God use us? We we're just two very ordinary people, um, you know, and we were living a very much normal life, but um, just that longing and that desire and that cry out to the Lord. And, and I have to tell you, after we were here for about maybe, maybe two months or so, we were in a prayer meeting and suddenly, um, one of the young men in the prayer meeting that ended up being our son-in-law later, but he, he said, you know, we were here praying and asking God for help, and God sent you. And when he said that, I remembered how I had prayed and realized, you know, God heard our cry, he heard their cry, and he connected us <laughs> but in those early days there were a lot of unknowns and we were giving up uh, everything that we felt secure with a secure monthly check at the end uh, wasn't big but it was it was there uh, circle of friends uh, of course the church that we enjoyed and we could see everything that we were leaving and we could only see a little glimpse of what we were going to. So there was a lot of uncertainty and at times a bit of fear. And uh, we didn't have, you know, a big income to bring us here. And in fact, you know, when we first began planning to come, we said, well, until we have three years worth of money in our bank account, in order to live here and to do some of the projects we hope to do, uh, we wouldn't, 
you know, we wouldn't leave Canada. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, then from from three years, it went down to well, one year's worth, you know, <laughs> and, and from there, it went down, you know, to three months worth. I mean, yeah. we were like, can we really go if we only have three months worth? And then one of the friends, one of our friends who ended up being a very significant donor in those first years, he, he said to me one day, he said, you know, Rita, um, God already has the three years worth of money that you're going to need in his account. He just hasn't passed it to your account. Yeah. And that just meant so much to me, you know, yeah. to think we don't have to worry. Um, if God is in this, which we believe it, he, it was, he was, you know, he wanted us to go, he would take care of us. Yeah. So that's, I, that's our path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I kind of like that story. I love that about uh, God has it in his account, because as ministry leaders, we're always kind of looking at what we have in our accounts. Uh, that's just what we, that's the temporary part of what, but God's plan is always better than ours. And I think the other thing that our listeners would um, also in, would take away from what you said there, Rita, was about uh, the praying. You had a yearning. I think all of us have a yearning, some type of yearning for trying to do more for the Lord. Uh, people who are really, really connected with the Lord, we're, we're always looking for something. It doesn't matter what level you're at. We're always looking for whatever else God has for us. So that would be an encouragement for all of our listeners is to kind of do what Rita did. Just really pray for those things and God will speak to you and he will lead you to those uh, to those times. So that, tell me why, why go Guatemala? How did you decide to drive from, I guess that's correct. You drove from, from Canada, which I think is what would be Southwest Canada, right? Uh, and then go all the way to Guatemala. Western Canada, just above, uh, Washington state. Uh, okay. yeah. So in British Columbia. So mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was a long drive. Uh, yeah. Why Guatemala? Um, uh, I had been involved in leading short-term missions teams from our Christian school to Guatemala here. We had a very thin connection through another missions agency uh, with some people who hosted us here and engaged us in short-term missions with, our, uh, with the young people from our school. And um, I guess the, the very first time I came down, I was just amazed at how the Lord utilized that opportunity. I wasn't anticipating this. I had never been on a short-term missions trip. Uh, there was a civil war going on in Guatemala at the time. And really my objective was, well, uh, get them there, uh, have an experience and get them back alive. If we get them back alive, <laughs> then, then we're doing good. Uh, so I was delegated this responsibility by uh, who was, I was the vice principal at that time and the principal had, given me that uh that opportunity and so my expectations weren't very high i just thought well we'll do this and we'll Goodbye. see what of it uh, they all came back alive as have <laughs> every other team member that has ever come down and there's been uh hundreds over the years uh, we, we've hosted over 300 short-term missions teams now um, but that very first team i could see how crossing from one culture one society to another it just spoke so deeply into the lives of these kids. And um, they learned more in those 10 days that they were here in Guatemala. I saw the spirit of God working in their hearts and working in my heart more than 
uh, a year of my Bible classes for them, which might tell you what kind of teacher I am. Maybe that, that, that's maybe what it does, but, but I just thought this is worth doing. And um, I, I turned, uh, I was turning 40 at about the time. And, um, and I remember one morning asking the Lord saying, Lord, uh, what, what are you wanting to do with the rest of my life? If I have a normal lifespan of 80 years uh, uh, or thereabouts, and my life is half over, uh, you know, what, what do you want to do with the rest? And he asked me a question. He said, if there's as much fruit in the second half of your life as there was in the first half of your life, would you die a happy man? And I just thought, I want there to be more fruit in yeah. the second half. I, 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 want, I want to have learned from my mistakes and my failures. Uh, I want it to count. And um, so we saw the Lord working here and we just wanted to be more and more involved. Uh, uh, we saw the, the work that the Holy Spirit was doing in all the team members that we brought down here. And it was significant and we were happy with that. But we began to feel restless about the actual impact we were having on the Guatemalan people, you know, to come back year after year and paint the same school because it was needing new paint or it, it just felt like what, you know, we want to do something more significant here and be an actual impact in the lives of the people here. And we, we sense God developing in us this desire to, to train leaders leaders for his kingdom among the Guatemalan people. Um, and so over, over the about nine years that Les brought short-term mission teams and often I'd accompany him, um, we began to sense this desire to actually move to Guatemala as a family and let God use us here how he, he would desire to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you this question. I think this is a question all of our listeners would probably be interested in hearing the answer to. How did you overcome the fear of not having that three years worth of income in your bank? How did you over, I know it, it probably comes down to trust and just, you know, following what the spirit is doing, but there's still, there's, it's, it's hard to overcome that fear. And how did you guys, did you guys just pray through it or what was the, the key ingredient to overcoming well, fear? I don't know exactly how to answer the question. I, I think um, maybe the listeners might think, well, they must have had some supernatural divine explosion in their lives, and then they made this decision. And it really wasn't that way. It was more a gradual process and just sensing that little nudging of the Spirit of God to take one further step. And so I remember... Uh, years before we came, we sensed the Lord speaking to us to say, uh, just start sharing about what you see the Lord doing in Guatemala on your short-term missions trips. Don't ask for funds. Don't ask for support. Just ask for prayer when you take your next team. And it was just one step at a time. Okay. And um, probably the biggest step for me was to hand in my resignation in uh, the job that I loved and uh, give up that security. Uh I, how that happened, I can only say it was the grace of God that helped me do it. Uh, I remember sitting at my desk and uh, just before a board meeting and saying, when I hand this letter in, I'm crossing a line. Yeah. There's no going back. And uh, that was a very challenging moment for me. Uh, something that was very reassuring, though, on my next short-term missions trip after I had done that, 
I met a pastor who I, I connected with every year when I came down here to Guatemala. And he came up to me and he said, I've been praying for you every day. And I, I had a dream or a vision of you. And you were sitting in front of this table that was in the corner. He was describing where my desk was. And you had a paper on your desk and you were struggling to make a decision. Can, does, that, does that ring a bell with you? Oh, yes, that rang a bell. And I thought, you know, that was just a little indicator. Sorry, I'm getting emotional yeah. because it's just the Lord just saying yeah. I was there and he was in another country and he had a glimpse of it. I, I'm, I'm leading this path. And so just little nudges like that. Yeah, I think in some ways, you know, <laughs> my dad, who, who was already, you know, 80 or so when we left Canada, and he, and he, no, no, I guess not, he was 70 something, but he told my mom, she told me later, you know, that he said, they're kids, they don't know what they're doing, you know, <laughs> leaving Canada to go to Guatemala. And, and I think in some ways, he was right. You know, we look back ourselves and say, you know, what, what were, were we, we thinking? thinking? <laughs> but we were so certain the Lord was in it. And, and, you know, as the hardships came, which many hardships came in those first years, um, that assurance that we knew God had brought us, you know, we never had a moment of, oh, we're receiving a call from God right now. We never had that ourselves others do but we we just had this sort of a sense process. this process this sense that god was calling us to come here but um you know that assurance never left us we never once have said did we make a mistake should we not have come and i think if you can have that assurance in your heart god is in this and we don't see the the solutions of the problem to the problems but but the Lord always gave us that assurance we were in his will. So yeah. obviously he's going to show us the way through the difficulties. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well, let's get down. Let's get down into a couple stories then, because you find yourself now in, in Guatemala. Um, you really didn't even have, if I remember right, you didn't even really have a defined focus on what exactly you were going to do when you got down. You knew schools, early childhood development through education was going to be part of it. But tell us a story that just really affirmed those things, something that, that happened that just really moved your ministry forward or just furthered your conviction on, on the work you were doing. Well, I, I have one story that comes to my mind right away. Um, uh, we're, we're working among a people group, uh, the Kekchi and Pokemchi people groups here in Guatemala. These are Mayan descendants. And uh, many of the villages villages here don't have access to education. And um, a number of years ago, um, a couple heard about our school and they chose to send their youngest child to our school. He was in about grade three at the time, a little guy, grade two or grade three. Uh, he was a little guy and uh, he has now grown up in our ministry. His name is David. And um, uh, when David tells his story, uh, he talks about uh, quite a bit of the dysfunction that there was in his family, uh, the alcohol that was causing all kinds of uh, spin-off effects and violence and uncertainty. And he tells this one particular story of when he was six or seven and uh, 
his parents were involved in uh, a Guatemalan cultic um, ceremony. They, they have quite a few of those. Very, very dark, very demonic in many respects. And they always involve a lot of drinking, uh, a, lot of, a lot of sin on the side. Um, and his parents decided to walk home and it was several hour walk. And he said they both passed out uh, on their way home. And here he was in the forest, afraid. And he said, I, I lay down in my dad's arms. He was passed out, but wrapped his arms around me and I was terrified. Uh, that little boy ended up in our school and was introduced to Jesus. And when he talks about Jesus now, it just flows from him. Uh, he grew up in our school and uh, the only role model that he really had was his teacher in our school. And um, uh, he said, I didn't want to become like my parents. I, I, I wanted to become like my teacher. And so he became a teacher in our school. Uh, he became a principal in our school. He continued on in his studies. And uh, just about three weeks ago, he came to me uh, and uh, he's finished his, what we would call our bachelor's degree in education. Uh, and he says, uh, do you think there would be a way for me to study on to, to get a master's degree? I would love to provide leadership here and I need more tools. And there's a Christian university that uh, is uh, looking at accepting him. And he says, maybe I'll even get my doctorate someday. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking here we have a, a family, mostly illiterate people, uh, bound up in the occult. And to see a life changed like this, where he wants to minister to his own people and bring that same level of relief that he experienced to the little children that are now. He, he is uh, one of our uh, superintendents for our schools. We have 10 schools going now. And so his heart just flows out to the principals and our teachers saying, this is what was done for me. This is what the Lord did in my life. And now it's our turn to have that happen in the lives of these little kids. And Rita has a, a ton of stories. I don't know whether. Uh, we, we teach our, our young men and women that the the title they get or like the you know um, the degree the degree that they earn isn't what's important before the Lord that that's secondary it's only important to the world that's watching us uh, this particular young man uh, David but in English we would say David he you know when he took the role as principal of our high school he's he's a wonderful young man but he has a very youthful look to him he looks very young and i remember when the the ministry of education people came to see us and we said yes he's he's going to be our principal here now they say he's going to be our principal well what level of study does he have well he's already got his bachelor of education they they were taken aback but for for those authorities of the government here that are watching us um, we're encouraging our young leaders to go on with their masters and with their doctor, doctorate, uh, PhD. PhDs, um, but mostly not, not, for, not for us in the ministry. I mean, I know they'll learn some tools and things, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is to be close to the Lord and hear his voice and obey him and yes he uses you know the training that we get to but it extends their level of influence in the, in community. the community and in this country and that's 
we're really encouraging them to go ahead because of that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really drew me to your ministry initially, just when I, because I was told I needed to check out Impact Ministries. They're doing very similar work to what we were doing uh, in Romania. But one of the things that really attracted me was, I'm not going to get this mission statement exactly right, or maybe not mission statement, one of your things, where your focus is to, to develop Guatemalan leaders for the kingdom. How You can clarify that with me and, I just love that. So what is the exact quote for that? So, so, so our mission is to train Guatemalans in biblical principles that they can incorporate those principles into their lives. And those principles can be expressed in their families and in their communities and bring about social and cultural change. So we have, uh, you know, a, a history of occultic activity very dark dark spiritual stuff that's going on here and in many ways that's what perpetuates the resource poverty the 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 malnutrition that it perpetuates the violence it, it perpetuates the corruption and uh if uh, you know you know this comes back to this thing about you know me being 40 and thinking I want the second half of my life to count more it wasn't a matter of me coming and doing something it was a, a matter of the Lord calling me calling us to train others and equip others to go out and do it so it's that training of uh, Guatemalan people in 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 biblical principles and when those biblical principles are are applied that's when things start to change. Yeah. And we've been here for 20 years now and we're seeing the changes happen. Yeah. And, you know, it's very interesting because we grew, both grew up in a, in a Mennonite home and, you know, what, what our normal um, world perspective was, is, <laughs> is very, very different from the world perspective here. And we don't even realize how different it is. Um, I think as missionaries, the main thing is to live our lives openly before the people in a normal way for us. And for them, it's so unusual how we live. We, we are kind of rocking their understanding of, of life and in ways we don't even know. You know, we can, when we first started teaching, I remember, I remember the Lord always saying, go more basic, go more basic, go more basic to the very, very basics of what we, what we believe, what we live. And, and it was shocking to them. <laughs> I remember one young uh, teacher came to, to live here and, and from just from another community in Guatemala. And she came to live in our home because there was no place for her to live. But she said to me, uh, after a couple of years of living with us, you have given me hope that a marriage can be a good thing. And I remember thinking... Um, we weren't trying to teach her that. We weren't trying to teach her anything. She was just living in our home. Like we were just... We even had our little disagreements. And I remember <laughs> crying sometimes. You know, we were just living normal life. And yet she saw something that was completely outside of her experience. And um, that just totally surprised me that basically what we're called to do is just be ourselves, be who God made us and live our lives. Hum and humbly before the, before the Lord and humbly before the people. And how he uses that, we don't even know. We don't even understand what they see. And yet they, they seem to 
be so affected by that. <laughs> it's, yeah. Can you guys, I know this might be the biggest question, most challenging question I ask you, Les. Can you in just a couple minutes kind of describe that, that spiritual, that the occult down there? Or because when you described it to me, and it obviously it took longer than a couple minutes, it was kind of a mix between Catholicism and witchcraft and stuff. It was kind of almost like, you know, we think of Satan as the well, great deceiver, yeah. and that's almost kind of what he kind of disguises himself within religion there. Is that an accurate? Exactly. Uh, uh, the, without going into a lot of the history, the Mayan and uh, the Mayan people were polytheistic and animistic. Um, you know, they were worshiping non-living things as though they're alive, much like our First Nations uh, uh, people in North America. Uh, um, you know, the, the, they too were worshiping the sun, the god of the sun and the god of the wind and the god of the rain. And that's the history here of the Mayan people. Uh, then when the Spanish conquest happened, they were compelled to comply with the Spanish religion. Uh, it wasn't a matter of separation of church and state by any means. In fact, it was quite the opposite. And so the, the, the religion of the Spanish people was imposed upon the Mayan people. They didn't have a choice, but because they were polytheistic, it wasn't a problem. They just took in more gods, yeah, yeah. a saint for every day of the year. Uh, and, uh, and then there was this God, Jesus, and there was this God, Mary, and there was this God, uh, Father. And they're just all these gods. So, so their religion got bigger and better. So it is very much intertwined from their perspective. It was better. So it was very religious. And I think Satan loves making religious people uh, as long as their religion takes their eyes off of Christ. And so um, that, that's just become a real marker for us here. Uh, we see, you know, the enemy doesn't try and make people do bad things. He tries to get them to take their eyes off of Jesus. And, um, and our job, uh, uh, while we have breath on this earth, is to redirect people to focus on Jesus. And uh, not to stop them from doing bad things, that, that comes when the work of the spirit happens inside of them. But uh, consequently, there is a lot of occultic witchcraft uh, going on. These ceremonies are happening every day in many parts of the country. And we have a, a high place uh, where the, we're right in our community. It's what the Bible would call a high place. Uh, but there are people going to that spot looking for a connection with a god to intervene with their problems and it's heartbreaking to see them make great personal sacrifices and pay the mayan priest or the the mayan witch uh significant sums of money that they don't have perhaps they're borrowing so their their problem actually gets worse um and uh and and just steeped in this darkness very very sad to see very eye-opening to see yeah. So you guys run, I think, if I get it right, uh, 10 schools right now, about 150 kids in schools, so around 1,500 children. Is that? Yeah, the enrollment has actually gone up. We're, we're at about 1,700 children now. Uh, we, so we have uh, uh, seven elementary schools. They feed into three junior highs, and one of our junior highs has a senior high in it. Okay, very good. So the reason I asked that question, we can kind of get into what you guys are doing to to build up those leaders. But do you see the children that you're working with, the families and the communities, do you have to break them from that other thought process? Or have you kind of overcome that hurdle already and the people you're working with are coming 
with an open mind to who Christ is, or do you have to like break them from that cycle of witchcraft? When the parents bring the children to our school, um, they already know it's a Christian school. And we, we always have them um, agree with us that the number one purpose of our school will be to teach the children how to pray, how to worship, and how to read God's word and to follow it. So if they don't agree to that, then, um, then we don't receive their children into our school. But mostly, especially when the children are really small, they, they gladly let us have them. And sometimes when they become teenagers, it has become a bit of a conflict where the parents don't want them to continue in that vein and yet they've already given them to us for years and so the children themselves have to make that big decision i'll tell you one story we had this do we have time to tell a little story yes, yeah, um, we had um in our community as les already said there's a lot of witchcraft so there are people that are designated like they're the witches in our town very you know? open very yeah it's very very common knowledge who the witches are and you know if you were to meet a witch on the street you wouldn't know it's a witch it's just a normal person <laughs> but uh everybody knows what they're involved in and and we had um a situation where uh, a little girl passed away. Uh, she was hit by a car on the, on the highway. And, and her uncle um, is a witch in the town. And um, he, he actually was involved in the funeral. And so we took a lot of our children from our school to the funeral. And they, they actually worshiped the Lord there. And he just watched them. And I, I wondered what he was thinking. I was wondering what he felt, you know, with the presence of the Lord there so strong. But uh, when the new school year began, um, we had kind of decided not to accept new students into the school because we were very full. But um, Les said to me, only siblings of children that are already in our school will accept siblings, younger siblings. We'll also accept if a pastor has moved into town, we'll accept his children if he wants them in our Christian school. And yet, all of a sudden, we looked down the road. While we were talking. There was this man, this witch, coming down the road, and he had a child on each hand and another one. There were three children walking, his children walking towards the school. And Les said, well, maybe we're going to accept siblings and pastor's children and witch's children. <laughs> anyway, you know, he came to our school and he told me, I was acting as the principal there at that moment. I said, um, he said, I would like my children to study in this school. And so I said, well, let's step into my office and talk about this for a moment. And so then I, I started telling him that our main purpose is that they would know the Bible and know how to pray and know how to worship God. And this is our main purpose. And I, and he kept on going like this, you know, like, yes, yes, that's mm. good. And so then I started telling him all the rules we have and he was in agreement with everything. And I thought, okay, I can't just leave it at that. You know, I can't just leave it there. And so I said to him, you know, um, I want you to know something else. Uh, you know, we, we teach our children here that what, what the witch doctors, they call themselves witch doctors, mm -hmm. what the witch doctors do doesn't please the Lord. I thought, you know, that's about as that's... blunt as I can be to let him know I don't want his children all of a sudden to, you know, him to get angry about what they're learning. And he just looked at me. I thought maybe he'd get angry. 
But then he said, it's okay. It's okay. I want my children in your school. And one of the words that he said is, he says, I want them to know what real Christianity is. <laughs> and to me, I, I just thought, isn't that interesting? He doesn't oh. want a synthetic or a watered down version of Christianity. He wants the real Christianity. And I think that's maybe the call for every one of us, mm -hmm. no matter where we live, whether we're missionaries in another country or whether we're dialoguing with our neighbors or at work or in school that people would know what real Christians are and who, who Jesus is and what he's done, that, that transforming work inside of our hearts. Mm -hmm. she was he did bring his children to our school. And within the first year and a half, his oldest son actually became baptized in our church upon his faith in Christ. So, you know, we just have to leave it in God's hands. And, and when they had a family crisis, he would show up for the staff prayer meeting and ask for prayer in the school. In our school, <laughs> yeah. So as you were telling that story, Reed, I was thinking, is it, is he just playing a role? Does he know he's just playing a role as a witch doctor for a profession or for, I don't know if they get, if they become wealthy or anything like that because of who they are. You think that's what he's doing and he's, I don't, I don't know. know. I had a, a wonderful meeting with him and his wife one, one day. And, uh, I said to him, like, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? And do you believe, do you know that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins? And I went through the whole gospel, basically. And he agreed with me to all of it. And I, I just sat there and I said, you know, I think the only thing missing is that you need to give your life yeah. over to Jesus. Yeah. And, and he just looked at me and said, I'll do it in January, he said. You know, that January never did come, at least not that I know of. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, he actually passed away about a year ago. This, oh. this already happened a long time ago. So I, I don't know, you know, we, we're not the judge. But he did have a dialogue. Wonderful to meet him in heaven. <laughs> but he did have a dialogue with you uh, on another occasion about this would mean I would have to leave the work I do. Yeah, he you know? understood so, that. So yeah. he understood what he was doing was in contradiction to God's word. And so, um, but you know, we've had contact with a number of other witches and uh, uh, their relatives when, um, uh, in, in this culture, when you ask for prayer, you usually invite people over to your home. And so if the relatives of the witch, uh, they live in big family groups, um, invited us over, uh, you know, I've been in at least four different witches homes praying in, in their in their homes with some other brothers and sisters from the church and uh, um, you never know how the Spirit of God is speaking to them. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing, amazing story. And that's where you just got to trust that the Lord is behind us, the Lord is working. And so whether we're in Guatemala working with someone who's titled a a witch doctor, or we're working within our secular communities uh, here, the Lord is working and people want to see that true Christianity, the true gospel exposed to them. And so we can't water it down. We just need to be straightforward as Rita was with, with this witch doctor. And we need to do that with our friends too. And, uh, and let the Lord work. Now, he, we're just called to be obedient to his call and he will transform hearts.